Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome to the ins and outs of selling a business. For you, those of you just joining us, my name is Keith D. I'm president of Osage Advisors. Osage Advisors is a boutique merger and acquisition firm working with owners of family-owned businesses uh, looking to sell. Uh, typically, we're companies with $5 million in revenues and up. Um, today, we're going to continue our conversation with uh, one of our valued Osage team members, Jim Young. Uh, Jim, uh, last episode, we kind of looked at things from your experience from a buy side, buyer perspective. Well, you've been with Osage now just about two years, and I'd love to learn from you or hear from you some of the techniques and your experiences you've been able to translate from a buy side now that you're working on the sell side. Maybe you can kind of give us a few examples and how things are going. Keith, it's great to be back. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to this podcast as well. O old pro now. That's right. You're a, you're a natural. Yeah, right. We'll see. Uh, so, yeah. So, you know, last time we talked about uh, my perspective of being a buyer and now the transition to being a, a, a seller of businesses. And uh, so, I've re first, I've really enjoyed working with you for the last two years. It's well, been thank just, you. A, just a wonderful experience. And uh, I think we make a great team. So, I'm, I'm really glad to, to be part of the Osage Advisors family. Well, we're happy to have you. And for those of you just, uh, you know, tuning in today that, you know, Jim has uh, worked on uh, with us three deals that successfully closed, uh, which he did a tremendous job on. Uh, we have one getting ready to go to market and we have one that's um, kind of uh, going to be in market probably after Labor Day. So uh, we are very happy to have you and uh, you're doing a terrific job. Our clients love you. And uh, again, love to hear a little bit more about how you've been able to take your, you know, your toolkit from the buy side and now you're working on the sell side. Sure. Let me share a little of that with you. So, you know, 30 plus year career, mostly uh, on the buy side now transitioning to represent clients on the sell side. So I had viewed myself as a professional buyer of businesses. And I think it's a very important perspective to, to see the world from, a, from the other side of the table. It's the same transaction. But to, to appreciate trying to sell a business versus a, to, to buy a business, it's nice to know both sides. And I think we take advantage of that, uh, understanding uh, what's important to both sides uh, for, our, for our clients. Well, that's great. So, you know, what are some of the key factors, um, you know, or adjustments you've had to make, uh, you know, from your, you know, 20 plus years, maybe 30 plus years now experience uh, on the buy side, uh, that you've been able to you know, kind of port over to the sell side, you know, and, and or what kind of things you've had to kind of, you know, you know, kind of like tweak, so to speak, uh, now that you're behind the curtain, so to speak, working with the seller. Yeah, no, it's a very different perspective. You know, I was an employee of major corporations, right? And now we're in business for ourselves and we're representing uh, clients in, in their best interests. So it's a different perspective. Uh, rather than reporting to a boss or a manager in the major corporation, we're reporting to our clients uh, who have never been through this before. And so it's, it's a different way of, uh, of interacting for sure. And, uh, uh, you know, we're trying to uh, explain a very fairly highly complex uh, opportunity and transaction to our clients who haven't been through it before. And so uh, whereas in the corporate world, we've been through it, you know, dozens of times. So everybody's old pros. They know what to expect. You know, our clients don't. They know how to make their product, their service. Uh, this is very much hand-holding and making sure they feel comfortable every step of the way. 
Well, I think you bring up a key point about Osage and any any sell side advisor. Uh, you know that uh, it's all about establishing that uh, relationship, establishing that trust factor, uh, being available twenty four seven. Uh, as you and I've talked about, and you you participate in these calls, uh, you know, at 7.35 on a Thursday night when your client, uh, the next day is supposed to close the deal and your client's calling up with a question that you're like, wait, what, right? I mean, it's like, but you got to return the call. You got to kind of talk them off the ledge, get them comfortable, make sure they're happy. And if they're not happy, you got to go back to the buyer. I don't care if it's the beginning of the deal or the night before closing, you need to get the answers that, so your client is happy and comfortable to move forward and close, right? So uh, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I think, you know, I think, uh, uh, you know, these kind of surprises, uh, I wouldn't call them surprises, natural things that happen in an emotional transaction, right? All about the relationship. It's key factor. So when you're on the sell side versus the buy side, right, it's really understand. This is their life, Right. It's a family, uh, it's your kids, and it's your business, and and probably in that order, right? So you need, and it's just as imp- so you have to make sure that they're comfortable when they're ready to close. So, um, can you give us a couple examples of um, things that you learned uh, over the last couple of years uh, on a sell side perspective that you know may not didn't take into account or didn't focus on as much when you were looking to acquire business from the buy side? Yeah, first, you know, I was smiling when you were talking there for a moment. You know, when I was thinking about making the transition from corporate development uh, to investment banker, you know, a friend of mine, actually a competitor of ours, said it's a young man's game and that I was too old for this because the hours are crazy. You're a young guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Young Jim Young. Uh, (laughs) But it's been fine. And we are on call 24-7. But I was on call 24-7 in corporate development. Uh, So that's the lifestyle there. There, There's peaks and valleys with with transactions. And and sometimes you have to work a weekend or night. And and sometimes you get to play golf during the week. So it's it's not so bad. I I was telling someone the other day, right? I mean, it's like I went on, I I took like four days off to go my play my brother's member guest. And it was the first time in 20 years, I mean, this is our 21st year, that there was actually, I didn't have like a deal in some stage of process that I had to be like on call 24 seven. You know, I had my phone with me, of course, if I needed it, but it was like four days in, in over 20 years where I didn't have to be uh, on high alert so to speak, sure. versus if it happened, we just closed a deal earlier in the month, in April, if it happened two weeks earlier, I would have been on my phone the whole time, right? So as you say, just being available to your clients 24-7 is critical. If that happens again, I'll take your place. Then, I, guess. <laughs> I so, may take you up on that. Yeah, so you know, one of the surprises to me, you know, as a corporate uh, buyer, I was looking to acquire 100% of the business. Right, a major corporation uh, does deals with all sizes of businesses, including family-owned businesses, which we mostly transact with. So it's it's in scope, but we want one hundred percent. In the private equity world, which we refer to as strategic buyers, they are perhaps more interested in uh, having the owner keep skin in the game, and we call that, as you know, rollover equity. Right. So that while they might acquire one hundred percent, but right at close, they also sell back up to ten percent. So the owner actually continues to have an equity stake. That's you know that's that's quite different and something that I wasn't accustomed to in my prior transactions. Okay, so 
you know, it's interesting because um, <clears throat> on, let's say, I would say three of our last, no, excuse me, four of our last trans, five transactions, um, the owner actually ended up rolling equity into the deal as part, but they rolled it because they wanted to, right? So you don't know what you don't know. So when we, you've had these conversations, you set these meetings on the Zoom with me and, and in front of clients, and it's about, you know, I want to sell, I want to go, I want to, I'll stay on for a couple of years that I'm done, or six months I'm done. But as you said, you don't know what you don't know. First time transaction, only time transaction, is that when you learn a little bit more from the buyer, what they value they bring to it, uh, the kind of light bulb goes off and said, you mean I can focus on the fun stuff and not so much on um, human resources or dealing with uh, the insurance or dealing with the the more important issues, but more uh, the owner would say mundane issues, right? Things that have to be taken care of, compliance issues, but I can focus on strategy and growth, things like that. You can get excited about it. And so to your point, you know, it's like the emotional roller coaster going through a transaction and the seller's perspective changes as they learn more and more about what happens. No, that's right. I mean, this rollover equity can be a very good thing. It, it, applies, it allows flexibility to the seller. So they may be very adamant. I'm out. I'm 100% done. I want to retire. I want to play golf. Whatever it may be, whatever their passion is, I am stepping away. Only to say, wait a minute. This is actually a good investment. You know, I know my business. I know the future potential here. And maybe I do want skin in the game. And, you know, another perspective is, is you know, let's say there's an individual owner who's not ready to retire, but now is a good, you know, it's a, it's a hot market. The valuations are very high. Now's a good time to maybe take 90% of your chips off the table, right? While retaining some ownership stake, retaining your position and continuing to run the business. You've locked in a very high uh, purchase price, sale price in, from their perspective. And while continuing uh, to maybe work a few more years before you truly retire. Right. We call that second buy of the apple. And sometimes the second buy of the apple could be more valuable in the long run if you execute than the first buy of the apple. So, you know, it's again, it's about keeping an open mind, um, understanding the market, you know, becoming a well-informed, educated seller, and then you can make that value decision. So, okay, so you've, you know, You've worked on three successful closings in a, in a very short timeline with us. Uh, you know, there's, there's of course um, lots that go into that to get to that to get to that point in a transaction at the end of closing where the client sits down. He or she says, "You know what? I'm happy. My goals and objectives have been met, and I'm ready to sign. They sign and close. Move on. Right. So." Give us like three or four things, or a couple things that um, that are uh, you know that you you've come across that are important that from from a seller's perspective um, in your in your couple of years with OSH. Yeah, I mean, go to the you know prior to uh, a transaction. So you know, here's a business you know contemplating a sale, and you know what do they need to do to prep themselves for that end goal of uh, that that close. And, uh, and, and hopefully being enriched through this transaction, right? How can they plan ahead? And, you know, the more time uh, they allow to think through a buyer's perspective versus how that they have been running their business for, for years. 
Those are two very different things. And perhaps they need a, an advisor like us, an investment banker to come in and say, hey, here's what we see out, out there. And here's how it differs from your business. And here's the steps that you can take uh, to, to set yourself up for success for when you're ready to sell. So that those prior thoughts. So these are like three or four of the most important thing a seller needs to be ready for. Exactly. Yeah. And one of them I'll start with is, is valuation expectation. Right, and so yeah, it's one thing if you own a hundred percent of your own business, but often it's a it's a family affair, and you might have uh, you know an uncle or an aunt or, or or even an outside investor involved, involved in the ownership level, but not on the day to day operations of the business, so they truly don't know the, the value of, of the business. You know, one of the things we do is we put together a valuation model. And uh, we take their financial statements and digest it and look it over a period of time. And from an independent perspective, we can see what, in today's terms, what the business is worth. And that could be very different than what these individual owners view. And it's, it's market-driven, it's financial statement-driven, and it gives them a different perspective to really set expectations of here's what we can expect. And sometimes their number is much, much lower and oftentimes the number is much, much higher. But we're grounding them in reality of what they can expect. Yeah, so just before you go on from that, I mean, we've, we've had what several conversations with prospective sellers about uh, valuation. And I think you and I spend a lot of time, or Osage as a team spends a lot of time, just you know, making sure, not just looking at the valuation itself, but looking at the market, looking at different trends, looking at all these things. Okay, we think it's going to trade between X and Y, and we get on the phone, um, and we have that conversation. It's always interesting to see how they react to it. Um, I think more times than not, uh, they they listen and they're looking for seeking our advice. And we're trying to be open and honest about it. Obviously, we want to exceed their expectations in, in any transaction, but that, that's key. So, um, what other things sure. would you say that they need to really be prepared? Yeah. For? So this is prior to the transaction again. Right. It's it's really get your financial statements in order. And you know, many business owners operate their business, they, they, they know their product very well, they know their customer very well. They're not necessarily especially strong when it comes to, to financial statements, financial st systems, accountants, CPAs, uh, CFOs. They may lack all of those. And they might also run their business how they're comfortable running their business, not necessarily from a professional viewpoint that a buyer would expect. And so it's really getting your financial house in order. And oftentimes a business owner will run uh, their business to reduce taxes, personal taxes, business taxes. Um, and that's fine, but that means you're lowering your profitability, right? The less you make, the, the, the less taxes you have to pay. Right. Right. So they're loading up in certain expenses in order to have a low return. Well, acquirers want a very profitable business. It's counterintuitive. It's actually the opposite, right? So it, you know, it's very different. You know, when I look at a business and I see a single-digit return, that's not exciting to a buyer, right? But it, an individual owner might be quite content on that single-digit return. It's kind of like saying, hey, my investments made 3 or 4% this year. So yeah. what? It's not great. Right. So they're, mm. so they're, so they're running it to, to minimize taxes, but then we have what we call the addbacks, right? So getting into that aspect of if I normalize my earnings, if I was running like a public company, uh, which any company that we sell or anybody sells uh, middle market, low market has these ad backs and we normalize earnings and also the profit adjusted profits come up, right? So getting a sense of those ad backs, um, 
drilling down to those ad backs, uh, confirmatory ad, uh, due diligence on those ad backs from our perspective. Uh, how have you, how, how have you, um, you know, felt about that in yeah. uh, those conversations? Yeah, for sure. You know, sellers don't appreciate that at, at all. What are we talking about? What's an ad back? What's EBITDA? Right. right. Every buyer talks about EBITDA, earnings before interest, depreciation, and amortization. It's not something that a, 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 a seller, an owner of a business runs his business towards, but it's exactly what a buyer is looking for. So now they have to create a metric they've never used before. And then we have to adjust that metric. We're talking now, not EBITDA, but adjusted EBITDA. And then we're talking about the ad backs. And what is an ad back? How do you normalize the business? So there might be certain expenses that they're incurring uh, today. So maybe they're paying themselves an inflated above market salary. So let's say, for example, the, the market rate for this level of general manager or CEO is $250,000, but they're paying themselves $500,000. You could say an additional $250,000 above market. If that position is to re remain in the business, there's an add back of $250,000 excess expense that's added to profitability. That's the normalization that we're talking about. That's the adjusted EBITDA. And that improves earnings that they would not normally have seen as in under their ownership that would be quite different under someone else's ownership. Yeah. So you're so you're seeing right now, right, from a sell perspective, that you you know, you have to you have to kind of prompt our clients. Let's talk about these ad backs. And not just you, me, our team. We're always like, okay, making sure that we're getting everything captured. Obviously, it's 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 definable. So so you come up with adjusted EBITDA, right? Evaluation expectations are in place. Any any maybe one more example, something that uh, you know from a seller perspective that you really have kind of more focus on now than you would from a buyer. Yeah, you know what? One of the things we discovered is you know small business owners uh, tend to uh, to understate their inventory. They do that for tax purposes. In other words, to minimize their taxes. But that makes the financial statements unreliable, right? Inventory is an asset. It also affects working capital. And uh, so the way to clarify that is they need to conduct a physical inventory. Right. Ideally prior to putting the business for sale. So that they have a solid, reliable balance sheet. So that's something we often come across. But that also means, hey, your taxes are going to go up because it flows through earnings. That's the, the impact that they're uncomfortable with. But that's how one, one step of preparing the business for sale. Right. And, and, they, and I think the thing that the focus on is that don't do it when you're ready to sell. Right. You need to back it up. And when you're thinking about selling, right, maybe it could be two years, three years, whatever, start thinking about it as a profitable business, as an entity where, you know, my inventory is fairly stated. I get monthly financials because once we get into a transaction, if that information is not available or we have to create it or, or, or help them, you know, get someone to create it, it drags out time and time is never your friend. So we've talked about this on many, many occasions in prior episodes about the importance of reliable financials, whether they're annual, whether they're quarterly, whether they're monthly, whether it's a trillion, 12 months, having access to availability. And if, you know, if you don't have the team in place to do it, then you may need to hire somebody to do it or bring somebody on a part-time basis to do it. But uh, I think, you know, and I can, I can say this because it's been over two years that, you know, some of the companies that we worked with, you know, we had to take a much, very hands-on active role in making sure that that information flows uh, on a consistent and timely basis. Otherwise, it could affect a deal. So, you know, I think, you know, to your perspective, uh, we'll continue to see clients like that. And uh, our job is to be totally transparent. Up we don't want any surprises, right? So we, we, we talk about it. 
Uh, you talk openly about it with clients. Now you're getting, you know, it's it's an important factor that you never really thought about as much as a buyer. So that all being said, you well, know, let me, Keith, let me give you one more. Yeah. Right. Three we said three items to prep a a, a client prior to sale. Uh, we talked about valuation expectations. We talked about financial statement preparation, and really the third one in my mind is getting the documentation in order. Right. Right. And so you know they can they take for granted perhaps. Uh, how they run a business, and how it's viewed very differently from a, from a buyer perspective. You know, for example, uh, the, the subject of environmental. Uh, if a business at all has any environmental hazardous materials that are used in the production of their, of their equipment, that will be a major focus during due diligence by a buyer. And so if they got their, their documentation in order prior to sale, where they made sure they had all the permits uh, that, that were needed, that their procedures uh, in the operations of the, uh, of the manufacturing facility are in line. That will greatly help during the process because even while they might think everything is fine, there's no issue, a buyer doesn't know, and they're going to take a deep dive. They're going to hire expensive attorneys, and they're going to spend considerable time digging in, even if they find nothing. So in order to reduce time, reduce the distraction from running their business, and certainly reducing expense, get documentation uh, in order prior to your sale. Well, that's a, that's a very good point. I mean, I, we, we have these ongoing conversations and you know our clients look at this, well, I don't wanna spend the money, right? It's not you're spending, you're investing the money. I mean, we, we talk about that before we, in, other, uh, in prior episodes, is that you're investing in your business and for every dollar you invest in that produces a dollar of profit, that's going to be a four, five, six, seven times that eight, maybe even ten times that dollar return into your pocket. You you don't get those kind of returns. It's just so that invested dollar is going to reap tremendous rewards for you. So we worked on what several transactions, three closed. We've got a couple in the market. We got a few in the pipeline. Um, surprises, right? I mean, things that you know you've you know working at auction process, like you know things that we do. Yeah. Uh, and how we go about the market for our clients, which, you know, we are adamant about, you know, testing the market, you know, a broader based approach, you know, what are some of the things that you like? Wow. Yeah, sure. You know, I'd love to share that with you. That'd be great. Yeah. You know, I've been at this for a long time and it's been, but it's been a long time since I've been selling businesses, right? Doing those divestitures of corporate carve outs for the big companies I worked for. And, you know, back in the day when we conducted an auction, you know, we would approach, a half dozen to a dozen potential buyers, because it was a lot of work. You, you know, imagine trying to negotiate terms with you know a dozen separate parties. What Osage brings to the part uh, the table is a full auction process, uh, using uh, a database and technology that wasn't available to me back you know 20, 30 years ago, and we have a, a process that's dynamic. We can go to the marketplace for two, perhaps even three thousand potential buyers at once. Now, how do you manage that if you couldn't manage a half a dozen? Well, since it's all automated, right, you press, press a button and out goes the door uh, a one-page non-confidential uh, description of the opportunity along with an NDA to two or 3,000 potential buyers. Those that are interested sign that NDA and then they get the full description uh, of our client's business uh, through a, a SIM, a confidential information memorandum. That's automated. It goes out uh, through our system. It's beautiful. That generates uh, a controlled timeline and controlled timing of when uh, in individual bids are received. 
all at the same time. That's magic. And that allows us to maximize uh, the purchase price to our clients. That was a big surprise of the demand that was created through the Osage system. Well, thank you. We've spent you know over 20 years refining our process, and uh, we continue to refine it and upgrade it. We always look for input from our clients as well as you know people within our team, uh, ways to improve on that. But at the end of the day, it's getting giving our clients choices. So what other things have, uh, have, have kind of like uh, surprised you, so to speak? Yeah, uh, the, the other amazing thing is when those, those bids came back, right? We had a transaction last year that we received 27 uh, initial bids in the form of an indication of interest. Right. And often buyers will put them in a form of a range, not an absolute price, but they'll pay from this number to a higher number, a range. This is before we have management meetings and LOI stays. So just initial, exactly based on talking to us, looking at our SIM, our Q&A doc, and they say, give us an idea what you First think First round worth. bid. Right. First round bid. You rank those 27 bids from high to low. And it's amazing that the lowest one was two and a half times, I should say, the highest bid was two and a half times uh, higher than the lowest bid. Right. Now, these buyers res all received the same information, all the same financials. And these are sophisticated buyers. These are people who are in the business of buying businesses. And yet the difference in opinion of valuations is incredible. And what's the key takeaway here is without an auction process, if a, a business owner went to market by themselves and was approached by one buyer. At the which, low end of the bid, which, right? Which bid did they receive? Exactly. Number one and number 27. That's right. Right? The average bid in the case that I'm talking about was $36 million lower than the highest. The average, not the lowest bid, right. the average. So if they're getting an average bid, they're leaving tens of millions of dollars potentially on the table. Right. Without and the use of a financial advisor like ourselves, right? So it's it's interesting because if if you know if you know don't uh, we always say don't pick up the phone, right? Test the market, you owe it to yourself. But in this situation, you know buyers, right? All these buyers, they said, what's the client? What are they looking for? And our answer is, value is different for different buyers. So put your own value on it. So you got twenty seven bids, and we're talking about highly sophisticated buyers in this case with this particular company and every deal we work on. And these are reputable firms that have been a long track record, and but they perceive value in different ways. So like we said, value is different for different buyers, but your value's here, real value's here. And, so, and while I don't, it wasn't a surprise to me, maybe it was a surprise to our clients, we take it to the next level. We make it very personal. So while we're ranking these numbers of high to low, we try to bring it to what's the best fit? And here's your baby. Who do you want to give it to? Right. Right. And it may not be that high uh, bidder. It may be number number two or number three for whatever reasons that is. And you know the the client needs help getting there. And through the management presentation and, and other discussions that we have uh, with 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 uh, with buyers before we sign exclusivity at the letter of intent stage, we try to make sure that we've captured the, the reasons beyond purchase price that makes the most sense for our clients. Right, and so, right, two or three deals we worked on recently in the last year that you worked on, our client didn't take the highest price. Didn't feel it was the right fit, right? Exactly. So, and that's the kind of thing we continue to work on is that it's gotta feel right, it's gotta be right. I mean, obviously price is important, but it's just not price. It's the fit, it's the culture, the legacy of the firm, your employees, all those things factor in that decision. And when you have, 
two out of three deals you worked on that closed, and out of the two of those deals, they didn't take the highest price because they just didn't see it, or they saw the second bidder as more strategic and value oriented through this whole value proposition. So, well, look, Jim, um, this has been great. Uh, we enjoy having you as part of the Osage team. You're doing a great job. Uh, hope you're with us another 10, 20 years. Um, working this we have a lot of things on the table working together right now and it's really exciting and uh then thanks for being with us today and um i'll probably see you in a few minutes so but in the meantime um thank you everybody um my name is keith d president of osage advisors uh you can uh, reach us at osageadvisors.com or give me a call directly at 860-767-3273, extension 1001, or shoot me an email at kdee at osageadvisors.com. Thanks for um, being here today and have a great day.